Well, the title of my message this morning is, What'd You Get for Christmas? How many of you have already opened presents? Have a favorite? We haven't opened very many yet. We're going to be doing our celebrating this afternoon, or later this morning, I guess. But we opened one. I got to open one last night. I guarantee you this. It won't be my favorite. It was a pink apron with two little paring knives. My feminine side was exposed last night as I wore this apron. and It was the, what do you call that, the white elephant thing where you do the gift thing? And I kept it the whole time. Because it looked so good in pink. You know, when you give a gift, hopefully we spend a little time thinking about the gift, right? We hope. A lot of times... Uh, uh, we're hoping that it's something they need and something they want and something they'll use and it'll be around for a long time. But as often as the case, you know, it doesn't take long for some of the gifts, if they're for the kids, to end up in the toy box, never to be seen again. Some of them end up in the closet, like my pink apron, never to see light again. Some of them end up at the Goodwill store hoping that somebody else could like what they bought for us. They're not very special. However, we, we get this ultimate idea of a gift, and it should be this gift that we would get that we would say, wow, I love this, I'm going to use it every day, and I'm going to keep it forever. Greatest gift ever. Well, the reality is, that's the kind of gift God gave us on the first Christmas, the ultimate gift, the ultimate gift. In Isaiah 9, verse 6. God says to him, I'm going to give a gift like that ultimate gift, that gift that's going to be around forever and of great value, nothing more worth, something you can count on every single day. I want to read the scripture in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For us, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In Baby Jesus, God gave the most unique gift imaginable. You know, when you think about this, a child, how's that for a gift? Ben and Leah got one. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, a child, a son, a government will be placed upon his shoulders. When you, when you think of Christmas, do you ever think of that thought? To us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And it, it, and it says, this child is going to be so amazing. He's going to be so filled with wisdom, so filled with power, so filled with righteousness, that people aren't just going to say his name. They're going to describe him with words filled with wonder and awe like we just read. Wonderful. Wonderful. In, in the, the original language, that word wonderful, sometimes it's used as for miraculous, but it's not necessarily even just miraculous. What it means is there is going to be something so special about this gift, it's going to stand out amongst all the other gifts like it. 
I mean, how, who knows how many babies have been born on this earth since the beginning of time? And yet there is none of them that stand out like wonderful Jesus. He stands out. And it says, counselor. Sometimes those two words are linked. Some translations, they keep them separated. I think personally, I like them separated better. The counselor, he is going to be, have such wisdom. The counsel of God in a baby child. An amazing thing. The gift is so unique. We don't just look at And think of all the other names throughout Scripture that is applied to Jesus. The list could go on and on besides what Isaiah mentioned here. He calls him the everlasting father. Isaiah, now for those of you that may not know, Isaiah the prophet wrote the, this book that we call the book of Isaiah about 750 B.C. So this is written about 750 years before the birth. It's being prophesied about. And he's talking about him. And he identifies to us that Jesus, the divine attribute, Jesus, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, he says, Mighty Father, this baby, Everlasting Father. And it goes on and says, Prince of Peace. Now in the natural, we can look around, you turn on the TV, you listen to the news, you read a newspaper, there is fighting and war everywhere. You don't have to even go and look for wars. You just go and look at relationships and homes. There's all kinds of hostility, all kinds of fighting, all kinds of arguing. You go, where is the peace? Well, there one day will be a peace that we can see on the outward side, but, but for now, it's an inner peace. This, this war, this enmity that was between God and man because of sin, it was complete hostility. God hates sin. When we're sinners, he looks at us, and if he sees sins, he can't even look upon us. But this baby Jesus, the Prince of Peace, when we accept Jesus Christ as God in the flesh, dying on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins, that hostility is gone. So when God the Father looks at me, even though I make mistakes every day, even though I sin every day, he doesn't look at me and see my sin anymore. He sees the cloak of righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that brings us peace between ourselves and God. This is the kind of unique gift that was given to us on Christmas. And this little boy, this little baby, was to establish an eternal kingdom. That's kind of a mind-bender, isn't it? Establishing a kingdom is pretty impressive. I'm in the lineage of David, and one day I will be king. And then I'll die and someone else will be king. No, not in this case. This unique gift, the kingdom he is going to be establishing is eternal. So it's a unique gift. Why a child? We've talked about a little bit in the last couple weeks about the incarnation, God coming in the flesh and the necessity of all that. But I want to even go back to this point that I mentioned, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Why a child? Well, Here's a good reason. If I asked you why did he come as a child, you could give me a lot of answers. But there's one that you might not give me right away. And that's simply this. Because that's what God promised. That's what he promised. You know, just think how our promise, sometimes we promise as parents or or even as friends or spouses, we promise something. Well, you know, we'll get you this. We'll do this. We'll give you that. And lo and behold, for whatever reason, we don't come through. And a little disappointment creeps in. They open these presents and that perfect apron wasn't there. And you're just so disappointed. Well, God promised a child. He promised a son. 
And he promised it way before Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah. He, he promised it in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. You know, and after sin occurred in the garden, just think about this. On, on the earth at that time, there was no sinful human beings. Zero. Everything was perfect. And Adam and Eve chose to break the only rule that God had established. And they ate of that fruit of that tree that God said, eat of all the trees you want, all of them. It's all for you except that one. They ate of it. And instantly, there was sin and separation between God and man. And in this time, in Genesis 3.15, and before that, you remember, God spoke. He had told them what would happen. As soon as you eat of that fruit, you're going to surely die. Spiritual death occurred instantly. Sickness, death, disease, destruction, the rotting of creation, all of that started at that time. But spiritual death was instantaneous. But he says, it's not going to be that way forever. In Genesis 3.15, he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now he's speaking to Satan, the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he says, he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. He's saying at that time, there is going to be one that comes from the woman. A son, a child, who is going to crush Satan. Defeat Satan for all time. That he would be crushed in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. When Jesus died on that cross, when he was being nailed to that cross, Satan thought he was giving the, the final mortal blow to Jesus. He wasn't just biting his heel, he was crushing his head. But the reality was, death couldn't hold him. When he was crucified, died, buried, and rose again, Satan was crushed. He was defeated. This child that had been promised way back in Genesis, prophesied by Isaiah, he was born and he lived a life to crush Satan and to defeat him for all time. Thinking about what we just read in Isaiah, I want to jump into the New Testament in the, the story of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 1. Verse 31, the angel is speaking to Mary, and she says, You will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Sound familiar? The lineage of David, a kingdom that will last forever, a son, almost repeating the exact words that Isaiah the prophet had prophesied over 750 years before that. It was the gift of a child. It had to be a gift of a child because that's what Jesus promised he was going to send. A gift that would bring us our salvation and the hope that we have as Christians for all eternity. And I want to just focus on one more thing from the scripture because I don't think most of us think of this often. But it's going back to the establishment of a government. The purpose of the child. It says, for unto you a son is given, a child is born, and a government will be established. A government. A kingdom. 
will be established. An eternal kingdom. But not a kingdom of this world, it says. In Luke 17, when, when uh, Jesus was being confronted by the Pharisees and they were saying, are you a king and where's your kingdom and all this other stuff, Jesus spoke to them in Luke 17, verse 20, 21, and he says, because the kingdom of God is within you. You and I, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've accepted this unique gift that comes that we celebrate at Christmas, the kingdom of God lives within us. We are citizens of the kingdom. We'll get to see the fullness of his kingdom when he returns for eternity. But the kingdom of God is within us. We are part of his kingdom. And God has qualified us to be in his kingdom. There's a scripture I want to read in Colossians 1, verse 12. It says this, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. It's interesting. Everybody can become a citizen of the kingdom of God. But they have to be qualified to become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, when you and I think in the natural sense about qualifying for anything, we think about what we got to do. How do I earn it? You know, give me the list. Okay, when I get done with the list there, I'm qualified. No, that's not how it works with God. God the Father qualified us by accomplishing something that was impossible for us. The only way to be qualified to enter the kingdom of God is to be sinless and righteous in the sight of God. The only way. And no matter how long your list is of all the good deeds you've ever done and all the things you think you're supposed to do, it doesn't matter if you accomplish everything on that list. They don't work for getting you into the kingdom of God. The only way is for God to qualify you. It says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The inheritance of the saints. Whenever I see that word inheritance now, I think of being joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I am a son of the Most High God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The inheritance of those in the light. Eternal, eternal reward. Eternal because of Christ. Nothing that we could do to earn it. A complete gift that he qualified us with. And it goes on and says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You know, realize this, and I, I hope I'm preaching to the choir here, but realize this, before we accept the gift, we are condemned to eternity in darkness and hell. We are condemned. It doesn't matter how good you think you were or think you are, you're condemned because we sin. And all it takes is one sin. And you can rate them little to big if you want to, but it doesn't matter. One sin, you're disqualified. But it says, he rescues us from that, from that dominion of darkness. And it says, and he brought us into the kingdom of the Son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. All because of a little boy, a child, a son born in a manger, as God had declared way back in the Garden of Eden. This kingdom that is within us, that kingdom that we are a part of, is an amazing kingdom. First of all, it was a kingdom that Jesus was born to create. It's a kingdom that will last forever. Forever. 
We are all eternal beings. We are all going to have eternal life. The only problem is, where are we going to spend eternity? Are we going to spend eternity in the presence of God, in heaven, in the kingdom of light? Or are we going to spend eternity in hell, separated from God, in the kingdom of darkness for eternity? That's the only choice. This kingdom that's within us, this kingdom where all those who are in it, every single one of us, have the complete forgiveness of sins provided for through the cross, through the blood of Jesus. This is the kingdom that lives in us. This is, the, this is what Jesus, that child, that son, who was given. And it's interesting when you read those verses. A child has been given this gift. We give gifts. God gave this gift. He's laid it out there for us. And this gift of God, you know, how, many, how, many of you, how many of you men got the privilege of going shopping with your wives? And by the time you're done, you're going, just buy something already. Anything. Please. I mean, we didn't even buy our white elephant gifts. It was like, honey, what do we got in the house we can wrap up? Anything. And that's what we did. <laughs> I mean, we put a lot of deep thought in it. We really prayed and sought the Lord. And I'm just, we're done. God, God's not like that. This gift of the child was not a frivolous gift. It wasn't a last-minute thought. It wasn't a, geez, I got a mess here on earth. What should I do? Oh, I think I'll send a baby. No, this was not a frivolous gift. It wasn't last-minute. This plan was conceived before the creation of mankind. It was conceived before then. God knew. God knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to put man in a perfect, sinless environment. Perfect. And he knew they were going to mess it up. He knew it. Now some people write to say, what was he thinking? Why would he do that? Well, he had to do that. He had to give us an opportunity to mess up. Otherwise, there's no free will. There's no choice to be made. He could have created a bunch of robots who just functioned and did everything they were supposed to do. But no, that wouldn't be true love. He gave us a choice. He knew. He knew what we were going to do. But because he knew, he also had a plan. In the plan that he had for us, for relationship with us, he created us perfect. He knew we were going to sin, and we sure did. But he created a plan, and he gave that gift of Jesus in a manger. This gift was announced over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. It's been prophesied, you know, last or Sunday we, we talked about some of the things from the Jewish culture, the Jewish traditions. We can look in the Old Testament. God, the details of the birth of Christ, if anybody will look at it with honest, honest intellectual thought, there is no way they could say Jesus wasn't who he says he was. There's no way. The evidence is overwhelming. Those that, those that say no, I, I would challenge them, have they really looked? Have they really checked? Have you really looked? Have you really checked? The odds of what was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years ago, coming to pass, all pointing to one man, one moment in time that we've been singing about that, one moment in time when Mary gave birth to a child. It's impossible, except for God. With God, all things are possible. And it's a gift that wasn't only well thought out, 
And it's a gift that wasn't, wasn't only prophesied about through the Old Testament. It's a gift that was lovingly prepared for us and willingly given. Scripture most of us are familiar with in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave a gift, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will never ever perish but have eternal life. This gift, this amazing gift, lovingly given, willingly given, has to be received in the same way. We receive it as a gift of love and return our love to him. We have to receive it. You know, at our house, there's still some presents under the tree. And unless we go home and open them, they're just presents under a tree. And the same thing is true about Jesus. Whether you or I receiving or not does not change for one second, one iota, who he is and what he's accomplished. But it totally determines our eternal destiny. What we do with that gift that God the Heavenly Father lovingly offers us freely, willingly, what we do in extending out and receiving that gift will determine our destination forever. And whatever it is that prevents us sometimes from going that way, our lies from the enemy, somehow or other, we think we have to give up too much. We have to set us. It's a little bit like the white elephant gift thing, if you've ever done it. You put all the gifts in the middle and you draw numbers and someone gets to go first. And my number was three and I got an apron. My number was three. And you're looking at those gifts and your first instinct is to do what? Go for the biggest gift. Oh, you get bit every time when you do that. There's always something better. You can hardly wait till the next person draws a number and you hope somebody will steal your gift so you can steal someone else's. A lot of us act that way as Christians or non-Christians, as believers. Don't even know what we're looking for, but we're looking for something better. And, and we hear the truth about Christmas. We hear the truth about the gospel. We hear the truth about the gift of Jesus. We hear all that and we go, eh, there might be something better. There might be something better. And for whatever reason, we choose to not receive the gift. Man, as we've been singing these Christmas hymns, and we're going to close in just a minute with a couple more, I hope and pray that if there's anybody here that has been looking for something better, you would take a risk, a step of faith, based on the facts that we can discover about who Jesus was knowing that we can receive the gift and our whole life can change. Our future can be different than our past. And one day, we will spend eternity in glory with Jesus. Doesn't get any better than that. The perfect gift. Let's close in prayer. And if we could have Nita and Brian and Sam come up if they're coming up. Lord, we thank you for this gift, this perfect gift. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not received the gift of Jesus Christ and accepted Him as their Lord and Savior, simply by acknowledging the fact, the reality, that we are sinners. And because of our sin, we have been separated from You. And until we decide that Jesus truly was Your Son, God in the flesh, and that he truly did die in my place on that cross 
and that he was raised from the dead until I receive those truths by faith. I'm lost. But when I do, and I lovingly surrender my life to you, the kingdom exists within us. We have an eternal hope of glory, according to your word. So Lord, I pray you work on every one of our hearts. Father, just confirm this reality in those that may have been Christians for years. But Lord, I pray for that one or those two or three that have never made that commitment that today would be their day. When they think of Christmas 2012, it wasn't just a Christmas. It's a new birthday as they become born again by the Spirit of God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.